So today, that's what we're talking about. I want to give you a vision, not just of Galatians stuff. I want to give you a vision. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to walk with him? We're talking about definitions, core foundational things that we're, of, of how we see and view ourselves and our lives. Can we do that today? All right, so we're going to talk on Galatians chapter 5. Would you close your eyes with me right now and just start praying into that with me first. Just open yourself. Say, God, I'm ready. I, I want, shape me. Shape me. Give, give me a clearer picture. Give me a bigger picture, God. I want to understand. I know, the, I know the basics of the gospel, God, but give me a richer, deeper, more complex, more multifaceted, God, more grand, Lord, more amazing, more incredible vision, God. I understand, but I understand simply and elementarily, Father. I want to understand, Father, in the depths of what you've called us to, God. Give me high vision. Give me a big brain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the structure of Galatians chapter 5. You guys with me on this? We're going we're gonna to go deep today, all right? It's going to be rich, and I really need you guys to, to work with me. I'm, I'm, I got... I feel good about this. I feel passionate about it, but I need you to be with me. Let's go. Galatians chapter 5, the structure is really simple, okay? And it gives a, a very simple vision of what it means to live the Christian life with the point of the gospel, all right? It's this. It's to be, we have been set free to live in the Spirit. We are set free to live in the Spirit. Very simple. We're set free to live in the Spirit. The first half of the, of the chapter talks about what it means that we're set free from, and the second half talks about living in the Spirit, okay? And, but the center point that I want to focus on, oh, there you go, yeah. The center point that I want to focus on is on Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So everybody stand to your feet with me. We're going to read the scripture together. I forget, do we read aloud together or do I just read it? Okay, I just read it. <laughs> We're, we're, we're getting used to this, all right? Because sometimes people read it at the same time. Okay, anyways. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I'm going to read it by myself, okay? <laughs> Dang it. It's okay. I, I tricked you guys. That was my fault. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. Amen. It's the word of God. You can take your seats. So we're talking about that's what it means. To, that we're going to hit on that. That's the center point. But before we get there, we talk about first we've been set free to live in the spirit. Talking about being set free. Freedom. Okay. Galatians 5, verse 1, the very first verse, it just says this. It says, for we have been set free. We've been, did I write the verse up there? Have I not? I'm so sorry. I don't even have my Bible. What's the, there, there it is, yeah. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, okay? We're talking about freedom. We've been set free from slavery. We've been set free from slavery. You don't have to go back to this every time. Just leave it on the slide that I have it on, okay? For freedom of Christ has set us free. To understand freedom, we're, I'm going to talk about covenant again. I know I talked about covenant a lot one, uh, a couple weeks ago. We're going to hit on it again, all right? So covenant. And if you remember what I talked about, covenant is best understood as an active relationship. 
okay? It's just a very sacred, serious, contractual word for saying we're in relationship. We have mutual commitment. We're in serious, committed relationship, covenant. And God has covenant with man. And he's been doing this from the very beginning, wanting to be in serious, deep, committed relationship with one another, all right? That's what covenant is. And there's a progression of covenants. And when you look at the whole Bible, you see this progress from the beginning of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 1 with Adam and Eve, all the way to Jesus at the end of the New Testament, right? We see a progression of covenant. But today to talk about covenant, I'm going to simplify it down to just three. This is the main thing that Galatians talks about. We're talking about Abraham to Moses to Jesus. Abraham and his promise to Moses and his law and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all right? So we're going to begin with this. We're going to begin with Abraham's promise. What was the original covenant that God wanted with man? What is the relationship God wanted with human beings? What's the, what was the point from the very beginning, from the beginning of Genesis? What did God want? What was the point? And Abraham's promise captures God's desire for his relationship with mankind, all right? And we're going to read some verses. We're reading the Bible today, all right? We're reading biblical. Genesis, this is where we see God first initiating the covenant, the relationship he wanted with mankind. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Talking to Abraham. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God wants to bless us so that we'll be a blessing to all the earth. Next. And when Abram was 99 years old, this is in 17, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully. That was a requirement. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will be greatly increased in your numbers. Keep going. And Abraham face fell, fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called a oh no. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham means father of nations. And I will make you very fruitful. I will make a nation of you. I will make kings come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. All right. And the, Abraham responds very simply. He believes God. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So how do we summarize this? Abraham's promise. How do we summarize this? It's God wants, he wants relationship. Why? Because he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to live a full, fulfilling life. He wants you to be connected with him. He wants you to be blessed, satisfied, enriched, all right? So that you'll be a blessing to all the world. He wants you to be filled so you can pour out to others. He wants you to be healed so you can heal others, all right? So simple. And he requires one thing, walk with me. Be in relationship with me and believe me. Trust me. Just trust me and walk with me. And I want to bless you. And I want you to bless other people. I want to I bless this whole world through you. That's the promise of Abraham. So simple from the very beginning. Okay? But then what was God's first step? Because Abraham got the promise, but he wasn't very good at it. And his kids didn't know how to do it. So they were screwing up. They weren't walking with God. They weren't living that blessed life. They were kind of selfish idiots, okay? And so God has a next step. Okay, I want you to live in this promise. So here's my next step. I'm going to give you the law through Moses. 
I'm going to give you the law through Moses. And, and Moses was basically, here's your rule book. Here's your comprehensive, exhaustive rule book for how to walk with me and believe in me. Okay, I'm going to give you very clear instructions for how to live in this promise because it was so simple. I just want you to walk with me and be blessed. Be loved by me. Be filled by me and walk with me. And well, let me give you an exhaustive, very long, comprehensive, intense list of how a rule book. It was external and it was objective and it was behavioral. All right. It was, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're in the people of God, you just got to follow these rules. Just follow all these rules and you'll be blessed. Okay. That was the agenda. That was the point. Okay. But it didn't work very well. Okay, because as we know, people are horrible at this. And, and, and that's the thing. This is so common because even through, even now, we understand behavioral modification, just trying to tell people what to do, just trying to make them change their behavior will not fix things. If the goal is relationship, if the goal is to walk with me, just giving people a rule book, telling people what to do on the outside is not enough to have that real relationship. And God gave, the Mose gave Moses' law, the Mosaic law, to show us that. Even you having all these rules, no matter how much behavioral modification you try to have and clarity you have around it, it will not change you. You cannot live in the promise of God. And this isn't just a Christian thing. This isn't just a Jewish thing. This is, this is such a common understanding of all religions throughout time. It's, I know that in this, in the Bible, it's Moses' law. But in philosophy, general philosophy, they call it classical virtue tradition. It just means this. Basically, there are a basic objective set of rules that you have to follow. And if you do this, then you'll live a good life. You don't need to be a Christian to believe that. You just have an idea in your head. This is how things are supposed to be. You should be nice. You should be hardworking. You should be this. You should dress like this. You should be successful. You should make money. Whatever the should is, this idea of how things should be, that's, the, that's what the people put on themselves of, if I can just be these things, if I can just teach my kids to do these things, I don't care whether they like it or not, if I can force them to do it, then God will bless them. That's what you call classical virtue tradition. That's what the Mosaic law was. Even to this day, we still do it. Every time you find yourself still shooting, still saying, oh, well, I should be doing this. I should act like this. I should be nicer. I should, I should you know, study harder. I should get better grades. I should switch jobs. I, I should get a better job. I should uh, dress different. I should, whatever. Whatever the should is, whether it comes from your parents, comes from your, your friends, whether it comes from certain ideas, movies, media you've had, whenever you're shooting on yourself, okay? Whenever you're shooting on yourself. <laughs> you guys get that one? There you go. Whenever you're shooting on yourself, you're going back to this way of thinking of living in behavioral modification and living in classical virtue tradition. So yes, Moses' law was a long time ago, but we still do it. We still do it. So one thing God was showing, it doesn't work. So there's another way. It clearly doesn't work, so there's another way. And the next slide is frozen. Jesus' spirit, okay? And so what was, what was God's plan? Clearly the should isn't working. Just telling people what they should do doesn't work. So God had a new plan, and we're going to read a little bit of um, God's plans for the future new covenant through Jesus. This is in Jeremiah. This is before Jesus came, and God's saying, this is what's going to happen. It's going to come. Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
not the Mosaic law, not the, not, the, not the rule book, but something new. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, though I loved them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more objective external law. No more rule book that you got to follow. Now it's something internal. Now it's something internal. It's actually, and it goes on. No longer shall one teach his neighbor and each brother saying, know the Lord. You don't have to tell people what to do anymore. You don't want to just tell them the rules anymore. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will bring forgiveness and I will invite everyone and to have a personal relationship with me. No longer a rule book, but a relationship. And keep going. And in Ezekiel 36, it says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will put my own heart, my own power, my own presence within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, I want you to stay there for a second. He is still talking about rules. But what rules is he talking about? He's not talking about the rules of Moses anymore, the rule book. He's not talking about now there's a new set of rules that you got to follow. I'm going to make you a really good Moses follower. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Abraham. All I wanted from the beginning was just to walk with me, just to have relationship with me. So it's no longer a law that comes by rules and regulations and check objective behavioral check marks, right? It's a law of relationship. The law of relationship. Hey, Zach, when I say the word, you can hit the slide. There you go, yeah. The law of relationship. The law of relationship. All I'm saying is this, is that I, even my relationship with Sarah, there's maybe a million people will tell me there is an objective way that you're supposed to have a good marriage. A wife should always do this. A husband should always do this. And if you do all these things, then you will be happy. Then you'll have a good relationship. But, but me following those rules doesn't, doesn't do anything for me and Sarah. There's a different kind of rule. I, when Sarah asks me to change or do something different, she's not asking me because there's a rule out there that says you're supposed to do that. She's saying, because I want you to love me. Suddenly I feel obligated. That's, there's no rule book that says I should do this or do that. But because you personally are asking me, because we're in relationship, I suddenly want, I'm committing to ch changing. I'm committing to things. The, 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 the motivation behind change, the motivation for why we do things, now I'm not bound to following the rules that, are, that are someone else told me that the world says this is how it should be. I, through our relationship, and saying, we have our own rules. Me and Sarah, we have our own rules. Nobody, I'm not in relationship with any other girl. Whatever any other girl says that I'm supposed to do, I don't care. I only care what Sarah says she needs, right? You guys understand what I'm talking about? That's the law, that's a law, quote unquote law of relationship. When it comes to God, right? When it comes to God, he's saying, no longer am I telling you to follow the rule book. Now I'm saying, be in relationship with me. And as you love me, I'll guide you. I'll show you, hey, this isn't good. 
This is hurting me. This is hurting our relationship. Hey, no more. I don't want you to just, um, I don't want you to just keep doing these things that you do that you're hurting yourself. No, follow me the other way. It's not just because it's a rule, but it's a law of relationship. See, Moses, and we go to the next slide. See, Moses, we come back to the Moses for Jesus' spirit. There are two different ways of looking at it. Go to the next slide. Is Moses was talking about the law of religion. By religion, I mean rule book. Rule book. Do these things. This is the ideal. Just do it. This is what you should do, and everything should work out. As opposed to in the way of Jesus, the, the, law, of the law of relationship, the law of the spirit, the law of love. That when you are in love, you will feel motivated to do things differently because I desire to make you happy. I desire to continue to be in deep relationship with you. I desire to still feel connected to you and close to you. And because I desire those things, because I love you, I will be motivated to change. I'll look at things differently because I love you. And that's what we're invited to in, through, the, through Jesus, that when the Holy Spirit comes, right, when the Holy Spirit comes, we have a new way of living. And this is exactly what, uh, yeah, not quite. This is exactly what, Galatians is talking about. When Apostle Paul goes on, he said, we've been separate for freedom. We are no longer bound to a law of religion. No longer bound to a classical virtue tradition. No more should. No more trying to be what somebody else tells you you're supposed to be just because. We're set free from that. Stop trying to act. like try, Stop trying to perform. Stop trying to just live up to whatever expectations people put on you. You've been set free. You've been set free. And in Galatians 5 verse 2, it says this, and Paul's saying, if you accept circumcision, which is of the Mosaic law of religion, right, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. He's obligated to keep that whole law. If you're going to choose law of religion, you're going to be, you have to keep doing it. You can't have both. You can't say, oh yeah, I'm just living the love of God, but then also keep shitting on yourself, on. right? And you keep shitting on other people. It's like, yeah, we just, I just love God. There's grace. But man, you got to stop acting like that because that's not right. Because my mama told me that that's not how you're supposed to live and you shouldn't act like that. And that's, you know, and suddenly you start shitting on people. Okay. I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> shitting. I don't want to get canceled. But Apostle Paul is saying, you, if you accept, if you're going to live by trying to live by the should, live by the rules, live by the law of religion, then you are severed from Christ. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You cannot try and live up to the should and still live in grace. You can't experience just letting me love you, letting me walk with you, letting me live in that kind of just the love that we share. If you're still trying in your own mind, in your own heart to, to, to perform, to live up to a should, right? You can't have both. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. Saying through faith, through trust, not by following rules. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through Love. See, and th this, this sets up something kind of dangerous, though. Because now all of a sudden we're saying, hey, no more rules. Kind of. We're saying no more rules. There's on only the rule is the love you have between you and God and God following you. But that's scary. Because what do we do with bad behavior? If someone tells you, hey, I can, there's no rules now. So as long as I feel good about it, then I'm good to go. But what do I do with bad behavior? See, it's really scary. But one thing that the Old Testament is doing, that's what's so beautiful about the New Covenant, it is taking that risk. And it's believing that 
If I can let go of the power of behavioral modification, of religion, behavioral religion, I will believe that having a relationship with me will transform you. That through letting me love you, walking with me, I am trusting that you will change in ways that the old way could never do. No matter how much you should on yourself, you will never be able to change in the way of just letting yourself be loved, right? So this is what we are called to do. When we're called to be set free in freedom, living in freedom, what he's saying is this, is that we need to unlearn the behavioral religion. We need to unlearn behavioral religion. There we go. There must be a lag on this. I trust Zach, right? Unlearning behavioral religion, learning transformational relationship. Learning transformational relationship. It is scary. This is really scary because it's so hard to believe. I'm just going to trust that even though you're, you're, looks like you're kind of breaking some rules in my head, I'm trusting that God is walking with you. I am trusting that God, has, his spirit is working within you, that he's loving you, that he's talking to you. I'm not here to try and make you stand up to a measure of this rule book or this picture I have what you're supposed to look like. I'm not here to try and judge you against whatever I picture as what a Christian's supposed to be. I'm going to actually trust that the Holy Spirit, through his love, and that you, as he's, he is pulling you in, and that as he's walking with you, you're going to change that your heart will change, that God is actually doing something beneath the surface, something that behavior modification could never do. Amen? Yeah. It's believing in the power of relationship. That's what the new covenant is. Right? It's a new covenant. And so when Jesus comes, he, enters a, he lets us enter into a new relationship. We are set free from religion, the should, the classical virtue tradition, and we're entered into a relationship of love. And that through love, there's transformation. Now, the second part of this is here. Now we're at Galatians 5. We got that. Now we know what we're set free from. And now we're moving on to 5, 16 to 18. I'm going to read this again. For, but I say, walk by the Spirit, right? We're talking about what do we do with bad behavior? This is the answer. Walk by the Spirit. It's not follow the rules. It's not ask the pastor whether it's okay to do this or not. You know, that's not, that's not always going to be the answer. It's not just what rules can I follow to be good, but it's saying, hey, you're scared of bad behavior? Walk by the Spirit. You're scared that someone's going to uh, keep hurting people? Help them walk by the Spirit. Amen. Don't just try to fix their behavior. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Shitting on them. You just, something's wrong with you. You're bad. Help them to walk in the Spirit. Help them to walk in relationship. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Right? You guys getting this? This is making sense, right? Okay, so I'm going to talk a little about flesh versus Spirit. And this is where we're going to hit the meat of what we're talking about today, all right? Oh, I'm excited, okay? I've got a triangle for you guys, okay? I've done this one before. I've done this one before, but it's important, okay? Oh, this is so much better. I'm like trying to read that, and it's so hard. Um, so before, just, just take, take a step back. Take a step back with me. We're just talking about a human. We're not talking about the Bible right now, even though I think this is very biblical. But let me just give you an understanding of what it means to be human. What it means to be human is to have needs. It's just essentially what it means to be a human being. You are dependent. You need things. All right? 
And I like to kind of boil down the, the fullness of, of the human's heart's needs and physical needs in just three general categories in ascending order. Safety, belonging, and significance. There's a million things you could put under there. There's a million different ways you could say, but generally understanding human needs. This is everything that you need. You need physical safety. You need a roof over your head. You need to feel safe, but you also need psychological safety. You need to feel like you're not a piece of crap. You need to, I'm so sorry. I got to stop saying stuff like that. But like, you know, you got to feel safe, but belonging is about like, do I feel loved? Do I feel like I have friends? Do I feel seen? Do I feel a part of a community? Do I have an identity that's belonging? Significance is more like, what's my purpose? Do I have meaning in life? What am I meant to do here? Am I, am I important? Do I actually have like something, a a part to play? Am I going to make a mark in this world? This is like human needs, okay? This is, everybody needs this. To live a full, satisfied human life, you need this. It's just a true reality. I get some of this stuff from psychology, non-Christian psychology, but the Bible resonates with it so much. Go to the next slide. And when you look at human beings, that's us and our little needs, okay? That's little human being, we have needs, and we're in the original state That big triangle is God. He is the creator. He is a true father. And in him, all of our needs are mirrored. And actually being in relationship with him was meant to be the fullness of meeting all of our needs. That being in relationship to God, that being in in his light, we get the fullness of our needs met. This is the Garden of Eden when everything was perfect when everything was how it was meant to be. I was meant to feel fully seen, fully safe, fully supported, fully known, that I know that I'm here for a reason. I know what I'm called to do. I know what I've been put on here uh, to do. I have my family. I have my tribe. I'm fully secure. I'm clear on everything. And there's just, just, just peace and purpose and fullness. This is what we are meant for. Just think about, I even picture just a little baby who is so loved and they're oblivious, they're ignorant, but they know that when they're in their mother's arms, they just have everything they need. But the reality of human beings, sorry, I don't know who drew this. I, oh, you can't even see it on there. Can you see the little red squiggly line? I drew this, okay? This is what happened when sin entered the world, okay? This is what happened when sin entered the world. It looks better on that screen, I swear. It's not bright enough. But we were severed. We were severed from the source of meeting all of our needs. We were severed from the source of life. We were disconnected from the person, from the, from the relationship that was meant to give us purpose and fullness and meet our every need, who was supposed to give us family and give us and to protect us and to care for us and to lead us. We were severed. We were, that relationship was broken when we turned away from God. And this is the condition that we live in. This is the condition that people who are not in relationship with God, they live in this. They are human beings with these deep needs that they were designed to have, but they are disconnected from the source of it. This is what it means to live as a Christian, uh, live, as a, live as a human being apart from God. You're just, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to feel safe. You're trying to feel like you belong. You're trying to feel like you matter, right? And this is just human striving. All of human history is built on this experience of trying to fill the needs. I want to feel important, so I'm going to become a king and rule the world. I don't know. All right? I want to feel like I belong, and so I need to impress people, and I need to whatever, whatever it is. I need to feel safe, so i got to make sure that I can beat up everybody. i got to be the strongest person in the world. 
And all the things that we do, there's all these, you see these little beautiful little circles? I made those too. (laughs) These are all the different things that we try to get to fill the space. These are all the things that we try to get to fill the space. I know this is sound, but go to the next picture. (laughs) It's a good visual, right? Amen. Who said that? Thank you. Feel supported. And we reach out to these things. Now, let me just give you some examples because this is, this, this sounds simple, but this is all of human existence, okay? You can break down the psychology of a human being to this you trying to fulfill your needs, okay? It can start off as simple as, I feel, I feel bad, so I want to feel good. So what makes you feel good? Drugs, just pure physical pleasure substance, right? Oh, okay, now I'm addicted because whenever I do this, it makes me feel good. It, I don't understand why, it just makes me feel a little bit better, okay? Or you get a little bit more nuanced than that. Like, I want to feel like I matter, so I need to become really successful in life. I, I get addicted to this feeling of, of success. I need, to become, I need to become a CEO. I need to become a boss lady so that I feel significant. So that makes me feel like I'm, I'm important. I have a purpose. And when I do that, then people look up to me and then I feel like I belong. And so you build, develop this whole identity around like being this ambitious person. But really all it was doing for you is meeting that need of trying to belong, of trying to feel important. And, and, and so you build this identity. It can be as simple as like, man, you... You don't like feeling sad, but you feel empty. So you are addicted to traveling and having fun. You know, it's Kelly just looking at me. She's, that hits Kelly, right? And I, the same thing, because when you're out having fun, you don't feel sad. You go and you travel and you feel like this is, so, this is so important. This is so exciting. And it gives you a sense of like purpose and significance. Like, wow, my life is so beautiful and so meaningful. But you chase it. You chase it. And you start developing your whole identity around like, yeah, I'm just someone who travels a lot because that gives me purpose, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's just we do all these little things. Even being a Christian sometimes can become something that we do. Yeah, this makes me feel like I'm good. I want to be a really good Christian. And then the church will make me feel like I belong. And then, I'll, and then when I become a really good Christian, then people ask me to speak, and then I'll feel important, and then now, oh, now I feel important finally. And it's just these little things that we do to try and make ourselves feel important, to make ourselves feel like we belong. And this is, but this is what it means to live. We have no other choice. We have no other choice. You are just left to fend for yourself, to try and figure it out, to feel safe, to feel like you belong, to feel like you matter. This is what, this is a, essential nihilistic worldview saying there is no meaning in life except the thing that you make it. You have to figure it out yourself. You don't feel important? Figure it out. You don't feel like you matter? You don't feel like you belong? Figure it out. Nobody can give it to you. Nobody can show you. But that's because we've gotten so used to living in disconnected from the source. Disconnected from the source. But the good news, the good news, oh wow, look at that graphic. The good news is that that, that red line, can you go back to the red line? The red line, right? That was, the, that was the condition of sin. This is what it means to live in sinful condition, that you live in sin. Because each of those lines that you do, the behaviors, bad behaviors, bad habits, bad whatever addictions you have, they don't even look bad socially, but they're things that you hold on to, like to make you feel secure. That's all sin because we were meant to live in relationship with God. Anything we do to fill our hearts apart from God is what it means to live disconnected from him. That's a sinful, connect, that's a sinful condition, right? But, by the, but by, the, by the death of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, he, he breaks down, he, he, what's the word? He, 
I mean, the power of sin is broken. The, what's the word? The punishment is the punishment for sin. The punishment was the red line. We were disconnected from God. But the cross removes the punishment of sin. And we are given access once again. Now we have access to the source of life. Go to the next pet. So we have the potential now to live in the light of God. There's a measure that now we have access to receive from God. We have access to, and we have the Holy Spirit within us. This, see, we're, you see how it's blue inside the triangle a little bit? Because God is blue. There is some of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And there's a measure of like, <laughs> there's a measure of the Holy Spirit inside of you because, yeah, you live in the Spirit. I have this relationship, this, 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 whatever you call it, this beam of light. To live in the light is to live in relationship with God. It's to live in relationship with God. And so we, this is what it means to live by the Spirit. I'm able to now live in relationship with God. I can talk to Him. I can tell Him my needs. I can come to Him. I can let Him love me. I can let Him see me. I can let Him meet my deepest needs, my needs for safety and protection and care and belonging and purpose and significance. I've, I have access to the true source of life, right? I have access. But the, the reality is that just because we now have access, not yet, just because we have access doesn't mean that all those old connections are gone. Just You've done something for 20, 30, 40 years that has become so etched into your habits and your character that just because you become a Christian, it might feel good for a period, maybe a year, maybe five years. Like, I'm good now. I don't have any sin in me. Oh my gosh, I'm incredible. I'm perfect. I'm not selfish at all. I'm not, I just love God. I'm just so good at being a Christian. This is easy. But then little by little, God starts showing you, you actually still have some leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. You still got some leftovers, right? You've still got these things that you're connected to. Yeah, you're full of me. You're full of the Spirit. Yet at the same time, Yet, don't, don't pull that up yet. But at the same time, you still have some of the flesh. See, when he talks about, the scripture talks about flesh, it's talking about your old way of living, your old habits, what you're used to. I'm so used to feeling important by having a good job. I'm so used to feeling like I belong when I'm a people pleaser and I make everybody happy. I'm so used to always being the nice person. That makes me, people say like, you're such a good kid. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm loved now. You're so used to these habits but that's your flesh. And the desires of your flesh are still to go back to your old habits. Because once you start feeling discouraged, you always go back to what feels familiar. Because everything feels good when you're first a Christian and you're filled with the Spirit of God and you're walking, wow, this feels great. What happens when you start feeling a little bit lonely again? You feel a little bit discouraged. Suddenly, those old habits just come up real easily. Because I used to always feel so good when I would watch porn or when I would eat a bunch of ice cream or I would go travel. I would do this. Maybe I should go do that again. I'm feeling empty. Maybe I need to work harder at my job. I need to find a new goal to work after. Because when I feel like when I'm pursuing, accomplishing goals, I feel important. And you go back to these old habits. And this is what, this is what the Galatians is talking about, right? The desires of the flesh to meet your heart's desires and needs in the old ways. The desires to go back to the familiar versus the Spirit saying, no, you can meet those needs in relationship with me. You can't have both. You can't have both. And every time you go back to these old things, these old habits, these old ways of being, you are resisting God inviting you in. Let me fill you more. 
Let go of the old. Let go of those things that used to make you feel safe, the things that used to make you feel important, the things that still make you feel important. Let me love you. And it's going to feel awkward and weird because you're not used to it. But unplug it. Unplug it. And let me fill it. Let me fill it. He goes on to say this. For, I wish I had my Bible, I'm sorry. But he talks about the fruit of the flesh. These are the desires. This is the end results. All the things on the right, when you're pursuing those things, it ends up in sexual immorality, impurity. Thank you. Right? It ends up in sexual immorality, impurity. This, this, is, this is what he lists off. When you are going back to your old ways of things, it's just going to end up in these same things all over again. Whether it's ambition, whether it's being a good Christian, whether it's being a drunkard, whatever it is, whatever it's going to end up in these same places. <laughs> um, it's going to end up in these same places. But when you live in relationship with God, when you let the desires of your heart be filled by him and you in intentionally pursue letting go of these old ways and learning to live in relationship with God, letting him satisfy the desires of your heart, your life will look like love, joy, peace, patience, yeah. kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what it looks like to live a life where your heart is fully rooted in that relationship with God. But it's something that we're fighting for. It's a battle that's being waged, right? And what it means to crucify the, because at the end of chapter five, where it says this, it says, so anyone who is born again in Christ, not born again. For anyone who belongs to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What that means, crucify the flesh, it just means I am committing to breaking the things on the right. I'm committing to letting go of the things that used to satisfy me. I'm committing to identifying ways that I'm still trying to prove myself, that I'm still trying to meet my own needs, that I'm still trying to whatever, be strong, be free, feel safe, feel like I belong, feel significant. I'm committing to crucify those old ways and I'm committing to being filled by the Spirit in relationship with God. Right? That's, that's the goal. And so little by little, little by little, that's what, that's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is simply learning, letting God expose small ways that we still do this. Letting God expose ways that you still hold on to these things. Letting God show you, man, and if, if it doesn't feel like you, just think of the last time you were offended or the last time you were discouraged or the last time you were annoyed or, or frustrated. Usually, whenever there's something, a bad habit or a bad feeling that shows up, it's usually because God is showing you there's still something you need. There's still something you need. And you want to make it about everybody else. Oh my gosh, that person is so annoying. It's their, it's their fault. This and this. Like, hey, it seems like they're making you look bad and you don't like that because you need to feel important. And so, so you really want to crush them to make yourself feel important, right? It's like, wow, you still need to prove yourself, don't you? Wow, you're still looking for significance. And it makes you feel good to feel better than other people, right? I could talk about this all day long, different ways that we still do this. I know, don't, okay. But that's the goal. That's what we're moving toward. Little by little, when I look at someone who is fully rooted in that, when, when all those changes, this is the goal we're moving toward. Little by little, where we're being full, <laughs> thank you for that, yeah. Little by little, when we are releasing those things and we're learning to be full of God, 
there's so much peace to be had, so much contentment. Suddenly you can't be bothered. Suddenly you live in the sense of satisfaction and purpose, and there's nothing that anything can take, anyone can take away from you, right? And little by little, by the grace of God, we're growing in that. That's what sanctification is. And it's God releasing the power of sin in our lives. Because before the cross was removing the, pre- the, the punishment of sin, gave us access, but this whole process of re- removing these old things, it's removing the power of sin. Because even though the punishment is gone, we still have the power of sin. It has a hold on us, right? And little by little, by the power of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, the power of sin is being removed little by little in our hearts till we live in fullness with God. But the end goal is this, that one day there will come a day when God will remove not just the punishment of sin, not just the the power of sin, but he'll remove the presence of sin. Right? There will be a day there's no more darkness. There will be a day when we're fully immersed in the fullness of his love, when we don't, when, when we are fully enveloped in his light, when there's no more striving, no more trying, no more longing, no more frustration, when there's just, when every door and every window in our hearts is open, when every wall is torn down and we can just sit and bask in the fullness of God, union with God, utter peace, joy, right? That's one day. But the current reality is this, right? And we're getting there. I'm just going to close with... um, Matt, you can help me up out here. I just want to share one story. Um, I didn't share a single story the whole time, did I? Right? It was, but, and there's nothing crazy. It's just, just a small example of the way that this is still happening for me, right? I mean, I've been a Christian. I've been doing this for a long time, but I think about when I was 25 years old, um, I've told this a lot of times, but I had like a mental breakdown. I had a mental breakdown. I, I was actually, by many standards, by mo- almost all standards, I was killing it as a Christian, okay? I was a super Christian, right? I was way better than all of you. I'm just kidding. But like, <laughs> I was a youth pastor. I was so holy. I didn't do anything wrong ever. I had no hobbies. I didn't waste my time doing unspiritual hobbies. I don't have fun. I'm spiritual, right? Like I, I, was, I was your super Christian and I was killing it. And man, I would speak at my church and I felt like I was the savior of this church. And all these kids looked up to me as the savior and their Lord. I'm just kidding. But like I, I was, by all these standards, I was... I was doing great, and people would actually applaud me. Wow, you're doing awesome. Wow, you've grown so much. Wow, God is using you so powerfully. And it fed my heart so much, because I spent my entire life trying to feel like I matter. 
I spent my entire life just trying to feel like I belong, and I found my way, right? Yeah, I became a Christian. I was filled with the love of God. But little by little, these new attachments developed. It wasn't just the old things. You develop new ones as a Christian. It's so frustrating, right? And I, now I replaced trying to be cool and be a good, good basketball player and be a, a ladies' man. I, I replaced those things and replaced it with being a super Christian. But they did the same things for me. They made me feel like I matter. They made me feel important. They made me feel safe. They made me feel significant. And I got to a point where everything, I was doing everything right, but I was at the lowest point of my life. I was, a, I was a mess. I would wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety attacks. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I was scared to sleep sometimes because I would wake up choking because I can't catch my breath. I would be at work in the office working on my sermon or whatever, just had a meeting with someone's parents who tell me that they love me and they're so thankful for their kids, how they're growing. I'm like, oh, it's awesome. And I would go to the bathroom and just hyperventilate and weep. And I don't know why. I'm just so anxious. And I would just, I would be working on stuff and go to the bathroom and just cry back to work. I have no idea because I just know that this is what you're supposed to do. And I remember I would tell my friends like, hey, like, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong, but I'm kind of unhappy. I kind of like don't love my church or love my job, but that was an understatement. I was hating it. I, was, I couldn't look kids in the face because I was starting to hate them, right? It was so bad. And I started resenting people, but I was doing everything right. And I remember my friends would be like, oh, that's weird. Maybe you should pray more. And I was like, you're right. You're right, that's, that's the correct answer. And I just, I was like, I just started shitting on myself again. Like, man, I should, I should be more holy. I should be, I should be loving, more loving. I should pray more. I should just try harder. I should just, I just need to, if I just try harder, then I'll feel important again. If I just, if I just try harder, then I won't feel this way anymore. And I would just keep doing it. And I got to a point where I hit a breaking point and I had a meltdown. I, I, one day I woke up at four in the morning because I had to go to church at 4.30 in the morning. And I woke up at four in the morning and I woke up knowing I'm going to either kill somebody or I'm going to kill myself. I cannot do this anymore. And I got in my car and I drove in circles for like 30 minutes. I was like, I cannot, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I know that I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm hitting, I'm, I'm literally hitting all the check marks of what it's supposed to be. And I'm nice to everybody. I don't make anyone mad. I don't, I'm, I'm whatever it is. And I'm trying so hard to do all these right things. I read my Bible every day. I preach these good sermons. I, pr- I go to the early morning church and I pray and I do all these things, but I'm miserable and I'm so unhappy and I can't go on anymore. Man, and, and I hit a breaking point, and that morning, early in morning prayer, I went on my phone. I was at the morning prayer with me and one other grandma who was there who prays at five in the morning. Only crazy people do that, <laughs> Korean grandmas. And, and I got on my phone, and I bought a one-way ticket to Korea, <laughs> and I literally ran away. I didn't tell a single soul. This was Friday morning. Sunday afternoon, I had a flight to Korea, and I wrote an email and said, I left, I went to Korea, packed my bags, and I left without telling a single person. And I just wrote an email saying, I'm sorry. I'm not as strong as you guys thought I was. I'm not, I'm, I can't do this anymore. And I feel like, you know, I can't prove it to you anymore. And I'm just so tired and I just need to get away because I'm too scared of admitting the fact that I'm hurting. I'm too scared of admitting the fact that I still feel like I'm not doing good enough. I still feel like I'm not good enough and I just need to get away because I can't do this anymore, right? And I got to Korea and I, I had this moment with God where about a week after being in Korea, with my dad so confused why I'm there. My dad lives in Korea. He's like, so why are you here? I'm like, just give me a week, okay? And 
I was sitting by myself one day at, at a church. I went, don't ask me why I'm at a church, but I was at a church and I was just talking to God. I was like, God, what have I done? I literally have just burned every bridge that I have. I just literally ran away from my church and I told my pastor, I told the senior pastor that I have my dad sick, I have to go to Korea. I lied to a lot of people and I just left. And because I couldn't take the shame of failing. I was so scared that I wouldn't feel, I would feel like a failure. Went to Korea and I finally prayed and I was with God and I said, God, what have I done? And I started getting angry at God. I was like, God, it's not fair. It's not fair. I wish I could just go back to when I just felt loved by you. I wish I could just go back. Like, why do I have to do this? Why did it become about all of these things? Why did it become about having to be a good pastor, having to be a good Christian, having to look smart and to look successful and look important? Why do I all? And, and God was just so gentle. And I felt like he was waiting for me to be done. And he was smiling at me. He says, Andrew, it was... It was always just been me and you. It's always just been me and you. You've made it about all these other things. You've made it about all these, and you still hold on to these things, but I've been trying to show you I can love you through anything. Even when you don't pray anymore, even when you don't read your Bible, even when you run away, even when you fail, even when you feel like a piece of, like a junk, even when you feel like everything that you're scared of looking like, even when you're those things, I wanted you to let me love you in these moments. And I'm sorry you had to go through all of this and run away to Korea just to let me love you. Just to let me love you. Because your flesh is still saying to you, you have to prove yourself. You have to become something important. You have to make people happy in order to feel like you belong. You need, to, you need to become someone famous in order to feel like you matter, significant. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to show you that you tear away all those things, let everything else fall apart, and I will love you, and I will fill every crevice and every crack of your heart if you'll open it to me, if you'll open it to me. And that's the journey of sanctification, these little things, learning to let go of ways that you're still trying to prove yourself, ways you're still trying to gratify yourself. Right. Could everybody stand to your feet with me? Close your eyes. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free so that we can live in the Spirit, that we can live in the fullness of His love. Maybe you don't see it right now, but there are so many small ways that God is calling you. Hey, can you let go of that bad habit? Can you let go of that need to judge people? Can you let go of that need to travel so much? Can you let go of that need to impress people by your looks or your fashion or to impress people by your, your career? Can you let go of trying to feel better than other people? Can you let go? Can you let go of just hiding? 
can you let go of trying to fix yourself? Because that's what your flesh is trying to tell you. But let go. Open your heart to me. Walk in the Spirit. Turn to me. Let, the, let your face turn to me and let the light of my face shine upon you. Let me enter into relationship, into covenant with you. Let me pour my heart and my spirit on you. Take a moment with me and commit yourself to this. Open your hands and say, God, God, I know that I live in your light. I live in the light of your love. I live in the spirit. But Lord, there are still things that I have, still things that I'm unlearning. I'm still unlearning some behavioral religiousness that I have. I'm still unlearning the should that I put on myself and on others. I'm still unlearning the need to prove myself or impress people. I'm still unlearning my bad habits of trying to feel better through substance or by, by instant gratification. I'm unlearning. I'm learning to be loved by you. I'm learning to be filled by you. Can you pray and say, God, would you give me the courage? Would you give me the courage to come to you? Would you give me the courage to be brutally honest with you? Would you give me the courage, God, to let go, to face my, the ugliness and the dirt and the things in me that I still need to work on, the flaws that I still have, the ways that I still hold on to these things, the ways that I'm still not totally in you, God, would you show me? Would you fill me, God? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Teach me your ways, God. Open your hand to that. And just start lifting up your own voice. Say, God, show me, sanctify me, God. I want to walk in your spirit. I don't want to live under the law of religion, God. I want to live in love. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. I want to be loved by you. I want to talk to you. I want to walk with you, God. Lord, I want to spend time with you, God. I want to be filled by you. I want to be in your light. I want to see you face to face, God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to live that life, God and everything that holds me back. Help me to let go, God. Show me, God. Expose me, God. Expose the things in my heart that I still hold on to. Show me my flesh, God. Expose the flesh, uproot it, dig it out, God. Unplug it, God, because I want every crevice of my heart to be filled by you. I want every, every edge, every corner, God, of my heart to be filled in love with you, Lord. I want to know you, God. I want to be known by you. I want to love you and be loved by you, Lord. Yeah, pray that with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.